Welcome to Poldark Podcast, a podcast about all things Poldark. Thank you for joining us for our season four coverage and shout out to all of our new listeners. We're so excited to get started, but before we do, let me introduce my co-host. I am Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me at Tumblr at Poldark Muses and I tweet at Musings. Hi, Delanda here. I live in France. I blog on Tumblr at British So, and you can find me on Twitter at Delanda Dia. My name is Rita and I live in England. I'm on Tumblr at Princess of Podog, I tweet at Rita Bite. This week's podcast will be the first of our season four recap episodes. We'll be discussing 4.01, which aired on BBC One Sunday night. We know we have a lot of listeners around the world, and we are a multinational podcast. Holla! Uh, (laughs) So if the show isn't currently airing where you are and you're spoiler adverse, then we fear this podcast isn't for you quite yet. Uh, So come back after you've seen the episode. As for the rest of us, why don't we get started with a little reminder of what went down on Sunday. Sunday night. So the episode began with Ross Daniel cranking it out of the Cornish Ocean. Hashtag mildly cranky tide and smack bang into a nightmare daydream about Demelza and Hugh. He is interrupted by Jeremy screaming and running towards him, followed by the rest of his family. I saw you swim away. No. I'm still here. And I. Marvin Gaye's Let's Stay Together builds in the background. Let me say sit, baby. <laughs> Since we've been together. Feeling it. Oh, feeling it. We then cut to London town where the, where the Prime Minister, William Pitt, calls for an election. This excites Lord Falmouth, who immediately sees it as an opportunity to oust George, who, you remember, is Sir Francis Bassett's protege, with its own candidate, his nephew, Hugh. Zachy Martin's son, Yego. Jago? 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 Jago. Jago? Yeah, Jago. Returns home after being laid off at another mine. The general impression we get is that there is yet again economic struggle in the community with people being laid off. There's bound to be unrest. Are we to eat? Price of grains off the scale. And at Truro Key today, I see it being shipped away to Lisbon. Be that lawful? Quite the reverse. Many still sell to the highest bidder. Ozzy, never the sharpest tool in the woodshed, tries to coerce Morwenna into sleeping with him again. Remember, in the series three finale, Morwenna threatened to harm their son if he attempted to touch her again. And by the looks of it, Morwenna is still in control, easily rebuffing him, much to his chagrin. George, who has been in Parliament, gallops back to Trenwith in under, like, three minutes of the show starting to see his family. I don't know, hashtag Poldark time. Uh, he brings baby Valentine a toy set that looks like Noah's Ark, and we all go, ah. Elizabeth looks smug, AF, that her plan is working, and uses her newfound power over George to arrange a service and a proper headstone for Aunt Agatha. <laughs> Cue a super awkward scene with most of the cast surrounding Agatha's new grave as Ozzy gives a very terrible sermon. Oh my god, it's horrible. Friend, fellow servants of God, we are gathered here today at the behest of Mistress Warlegan to honour the life of Agatha Mary Poldark. How fortunate was that great lady to have known in her lifetime such esteem and devotion. 
and in death to be spared the turmoil and strife which now threatens us all. War with France, an election looming, disorder and riot at every turn. How blessed are they that have passed through the Vale of Tears and now lie down in flowery fields beside the Lamb of God. Praise be. Ever the Creeper, Drake decides this memorial service is an opportune time to come stare at Morwenna, as you do. Elizabeth then approaches Ross to apologise for not putting up the headstone sooner. Ross then uses this as an opportunity to throw some shade over at George. Damn it, Ross, we were trying to turn a new leaf, remember? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I, I noticed this during my rewatch. Uh, after the funeral, Marwenna is in her room in her nightgown, and her pervy husband is peeking through the keyhole at her feet. <laughs> Hashtag no funny feet. Okay, thanks, bye. Sir Francis kind of invites himself over to Nampara, and Ross agrees. <laughs> sending Demelza into a hysterical flap about entertaining the owner of the mine her father and brothers used to work in. She runs in the house to panic scream and Prudy to help her prepare something, but ends up getting completely distracted by a letter from Hugh, and exiting the chaos to read it, out, to read it in her bedroom. It is a rather crap poem about them fucking shudder. Uh, hey, Demelza, can you tear yourself away from the letter your floppy-haired lover sent you to go downstairs and be mistress of Nampara for a tick? Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> Zaki Martin's son decides to start some shit over some corn. Corn snatched from the mouths of our babes. Sent to feed Portuguese dandies. Hashtag not all Portuguese people. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> oh. Anyway, Sam and Drake volunteer to fetch him back, but Jago is super intent on causing trouble which is why 20 minutes into the very first episode of the season, we get another riot. <laughs> Jago, in the anarchy, manages to accidentally kill a merchant, a merchant. Sam and Drake try to wrestle him away, but the damage is done. All three were spotted in the vicinity by Tom Harry, George's lackey. And that's a guaranteed death sentence right there. Meanwhile, Demelza manages to set up a delightful-looking tea party out of thin air and uses the opportunity to persuade Sir Francis to bury the hatchet with Lord Falmouth. To be honest, I can't even remember why they hate each other in the first place. Go on, dude, do us a solid. Sir Francis gathers a posh boy task force of the local squires to try and arrest all of the rioters. Ross is tasked with gathering up the men from Saul, which of course features Jago, Sam, and Drake. We never did nothing. Brother, swear to God, we never stole, we never made assault. If you are innocent, you have nothing to fear. Someone needs to get Ross a download of cereal real quick. Yeah. Hashtag free Adnan. Uh, Sam begs him not to tell Demelza about his arrest. We don't want her to worry or interrupt her storyline with you. Ross promises to vouch for them in court. Demelza waits at home worrying about Hugh when Ross arrives they share a cuddle and every viewer collectively awes hashtag desperate for romelza george reverts back to his slimy default and has the trial's time moved up early which totally fucks up ross's plan he arrives late to find out that they've already been tried and while a majority of the rioters are let go sam drake and Diego are set to hang tomorrow for murder hashtag no Hashtag pure drama. Pure drama. Pure drama. Back at Nampara, 
Prudy does an abrupt 180 and declares Mr. Ross ain't all that bad after all and regrets encouraging Demelza to cheat. Demelza tells her she regrets the act and that it won't happen again and every viewer collectively sighs a massive sigh of relief. Speaking of Hugh, he has massively painful migraines and we think this is roughly equivalent of a character coughing up blood in terms of heavy-handedness, whatever. He sends for Dwight to come and pay a call, maybe do a little light diagnostic work on the side, and naturally, he also includes Caroline, Ross, and Demelza in the invitation. This is massively awkward, as we know, because he legit just banged Ross's wife. But either way, when Demelza and Ross discuss it, Ross feels it best that Demelza visit on her own this time. This conveniently falls on the same day her brothers are getting hanged so he can keep her distracted while he tries to save their lives. Meanwhile, Elizabeth decrees that she will be joining George in London when Parliament is called. Elsewhere, Dwight arrives at Hugh's and despite the fact that Hugh is the one who wrote to him, he proceeds to minimise all of his symptoms to just the quote, the odd headache. Seriously. <laughs> Which Dwight, of course, sees through. This isn't his first rodeo. Yeah. And shout out to Josh Whitehouse, by the way, who for the rest of the episode has this sort of glassy eyed, out of focused gaze thing going on. Hugh is definitely losing his sight. <laughs> yes. At tea with Dwight, Caroline, and Hugh, and Lord Falmouth, Demelza again makes the ballsy move of encouraging him to bury the hatchet with Sir Francis. When you've been in the world as long as I, you know a conniving rogue when you see one. Everyone turns to look at Hugh. Mm, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, over at the hangin', uh, Tom York is turning in a fantastic performance as a very pissed off Sam, while Drake pisses himself next to him. <laughs> Yego uses his last words to try and excuse Sam and Drake. The crowd reacts in confusion, yelling to let them go. Suddenly, a wild Morwenna appears, hooded and upset. How she found out about this is unclear, but she has apparently come to watch Drake die. Bunsies! They're just putting the nose around their necks when Ross calls out. My lord, when we send a man to meet his maker, we must be very certain, not only of his guilt, but of our motives in doing so. Is our aim to see justice done, or is it to terrify people into submission? This man has no authority here. He has Let no right... Let him speak. My lords, I admit, these are difficult times to be merciful. When authority is challenged, our impulse is to reassert it in the sternest way possible. But consider, here, we face conditions harsher than we have ever known. Grain is shipped abroad while ordinary people starve. These men have no grievance against authority, but against the merchants who grow fat on trade while people die. To show mercy now would not be a sign of weakness. A signal that justice, real justice had been served, would be reprieved. Eventually, tired of everyone yelling, the court grants reprieve to Sam and Drake. Jago, however, is immediately hung. Demelza tells Hugh she thinks they shouldn't meet again. 
he essentially tries to manipulate her by saying that if he can't love her again, it will kill him. She gives him one of those put-upon looks. <sighs> Elsewhere, Moana sneaks home in time to be found reading when Ozzy arrives. The clueless man thinks she's been at home the whole time. On the way home, Dwight and Ross discuss Hugh's health, which he also does with Caroline, which seems like a huge breach of patient confidentiality. His eyesight's improved, but there were rather less encouraging signs. Excessive nervous energy, something feverish in his demeanor. Well, that all say there was no cause for concern, but if the fever is symptomatic of some other condition, along with the headaches, strange though. I thought him so much more robust than I, yet now he ails and I grow stronger. Strong enough to consider an addition to our household. Yes, boy, she is having your baby. Congrats, Carolite. Having my baby! It's another Paul Anka moment! Back at Nampara, Ross finally tells Demelza about Drake and Sam. She runs to them and gives them a very slow-mo hug. Hashtag Khan siblings forever! The final scene of the night is a cracker. Ross and Demelza chatting in front of the fire. It's very simple, but truly amazing, because they're finally communicating! Did you pity me when you left me for Elizabeth? I never left you. It seemed to me like you did. That night, and the day you met her at the church. I never told you at the time because I didn't trust myself to find the words. To say you still loved her? No. The reverse. I loved her once, as well you know. And there's a part of me that will always think of her with affection, but I realized that day that she never was and never could be what you are to me. Indispensable. Irreplaceable. You tell me this now because... I think perhaps I've taken you for granted. Assumed you knew, what to me was obvious, that you are the better part of me. I think perhaps I've been guilty of the same. Ross. Can it be that two people who love so much and understand so little? Is it now too late? I hope not. And they hug as the music swells and we fade to black and finally (laughs) (sighs) Oh my god. So brief reaction to the episode, yay or nay? For me it was a definite yay. I was very pleasantly surprised by this episode. Same. I was braced for calamity because I'm an overdramatic <laughs> cow. Um, <laughs> but in the end, I found it to be very well done. Yeah, very good surprise. Um, I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed all of season three. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, which you know, in in all honesty, really isn't that hard because you know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag shade. Did you feel like this worked as a good jumping off point for the season? Um, I think this is one of the better balanced episodes in a long time. Uh, if I had to guess, it's been a month or so since we ended series three. 
and I do find it interesting seeing a bit of Angry Tide, uh, the opening sequence with the swimming, for example, immediately followed up by something from Four Swans, uh, the coming election. It really worked. Yeah, for me, it was a really strong episode. We're kind of like an odd place to start for the season, because let's face it, midway point of the Four Swans, which is not traditionally the most exciting section of any mm-hmm. story. Um, I think weaving some of the emotional fallout from last season's final around the whole riot and trial and execution thing was really clever because it provided like a lot of thrill and momentum that some of the quieted moments and the inner turmoil that we get from Demelza just wouldn't have allowed for. Yeah, it really worked. Um, I'll be honest, I was very confused during the first seconds of the episode. I was like, okay, what the hell is that? <laughs> I think we all were a bit confused. Yeah, right? I <laughs> um, But it did work. I mean, uh, we, I really feel like it introduced loads of new storylines for this new season. And hopefully it means that we're going to see much more characters that were pretty much left behind last season. Hmm? (coughs) Caroline? (laughs) Sam? (coughs) Emma? Emma? Who we will see next week! (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So did you feel like there was a bit of a course correction in the characterization in this episode? I think so. And I think the best example of that would have to be Prudy, who had a bit Mm. of an abrupt change (laughs) from the previous episode. I mean, I'm not complaining because I feel like a lot of the things we bitched and moaned about on the podcast were addressed and fixed. But on the other hand, if you watch the final and this episode side by side, I think you'd get whiplash. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, the two of them were guffawing and grousing about the lord and master of Nampara one minute, the next colluding to engage in a romp with floppy hair, and now she's contrite and filled with regret. Uh... Demelza may try to reassure Prudy that she didn't run off with Hugh because of what the woman told her, but we know it was definitely a factor, thanks to hashtag PoldarkTime. Speaking of which, the pacing and the timing felt the most natural that we've seen since the first season. Am I right? Yeah, I even tweeted that. I was like, I actually understand the timeline. What is going on? God, thank you very much. Um, And uh, one more thing. I'm so glad they kept the, if I can't love you again, it will be the death of me comment in there. You know, I've always been of the opinion that he was a manipulative bastard, the kind that will use whatever means necessary to talk a woman into sleeping with him. And, you know, the if you don't, I'll just have to find someone who will sort of person. Because he is. He may have truly loved her, but you don't say that kind of shit without knowing you're playing on emotions. You Hashtag don't, you. players gotta play. Oh, right. Okay, so, uh, how about that cold open? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so don't arrest me for crimes against womanhood, but I am pretty ambivalent about this scene, to be honest. On the one hand, I know that the press surrounding it was undoubtedly really good for the show, but on the other, more logical hand, the obvious reference to the discussion about Aiden being the next James Bond 
was a bit too on the nose and was way too meta for me. It pulled me right out of the moment completely. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned into a dream sequence. Uh, I mean, I literally rolled my eyes. My distaste for this kind of scene is well documented in previous podcasts, so I won't go on about it. But ultimately, this entire cold open to the show ended up adding kind of very little to the episode Close i mean nothing. you could you could cut it out and the episode would be like a little better in my opinion uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well you know given the fact that ross is always spending too much time in his head ruminating on things it's probably going to remain a quick way to get a feel for what's happening with him um that said i was thrilled to see him experiencing some turmoil about the hugh situation um as for the Bond thing, I started rolling my eyes about that the instant I saw the photo show up on social media. Uh, you know, the image itself is represented in angry tide, although in that uh, it's nighttime, he's naked, and he's, quote, just resumed intercourse with his wife, end quote. <laughs> Want to learn more? Hashtag read the book. All right, so why don't we go through storyline by storyline. Let's start off with the obvious A-plot, Ramelda. Yes! I actually really enjoyed their scenes, which was the biggest surprise of the episode (laughs) for me. I thought they handled the fallout from, like, the Hugh incident really well. There was obviously a, a lot of affection between them, which was missing from season three. But there was also an obvious concerted effort to work on things between them. It also had this like weird, odd, tentative like feeling between them. Uh, I think it really captures what their relationship is supposed to be like at this point. I was a bit worried all of the anger and the resentment of the season final would carry on throughout this year. But to be honest, it's almost as if season three never happened in a sense because... Demel's in particular feels much more like her old self. (laughs) Well, she's been kind of knocked off the righteous indignation saddle just a bit. Uh, So if we continued to see that in here, I probably would have walked away from this whole damn thing. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I know. I know. I miss them so much. And uh, even though I didn't like the the opening of the season i thought it was interesting to see ross being tormented by it because it really uh he he knew now what demelza felt when he left her to go to the other cow and um <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> no we're keeping that in oh my god <laughs> yeah and uh yeah even though i like you rita i am a little <laughs> i i don't feel like when they add um hallucination sequences or dream yeah. sequences like um uh, towards the end of season three when they were like uh, riding the boat and there was like the slow motion going on <laughs> happening so yes i really like it when we get um into ross's uh, head and when he actually gets to feel things in regards to his woman and not just uh you know pissing us off all the time 
I'm a big fan of when Ross actually says what he's feeling instead <laughs> of just having hallucination scenes. So I'm a big fan of the last scene of the episode where he just said what he was thinking. I was like, oh. Right. But he's he's got to spend that time in his head figuring it out, though. You know, I, and I think one of the one of the things that he says in that last scene uh, was, you know, when Demelza asked him, you know, about the 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 kiss, um, you know, he said, you know, I didn't say anything about it because I wasn't sure I would have the words for it. You know, so it's didn't like, we get like a dream sequence with that where he actually said all we did. And I think while what he said at that time might have been okay to share with her. The fact is, Demelza hearing Ross say, I loved, you know, I love her, or I loved her, mm. at that moment, I don't think she was quite ready to hear that. At that moment, she was still pretty damn hurt about the entire uh, infidelity. I was too really honest. Yeah. You know, now that Demelza has strayed and has found herself in a similar situation, she can begin to understand that. So It's weird because you can see the same thing happening with Ross where he finally understands the kind mm-hmm. of jealousy that brewed within her after the incident. It's like, why do you two need to cheat on each other to know what each other feels like? Oh, yeah. it's so much hard work. <laughs> yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. Should we talk about George and Elizabeth? Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> or George and the other cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Elizabeth. <laughs> There wasn't really that much of uh, George and Elizabeth this week, but what we did see, I got this really strange feeling that Elizabeth now held a lot of the power in their relationship. She was making a lot of their decisions, like deciding to go to London and deciding to have another baby. She was getting gravestones for Agatha and everything. She was way more dominant in uh, bed, even. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth has never really struck me as being a particularly um, sensual person. But I mean, you know, she she was like grabbing his face and like just getting going to okay, town. Let's not speak of this anymore. I want to like wipe it from my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that their big blow up from the final has really shifted the power dynamics in their favor and i'm not sure i approve hey um can you elaborate on that just a bit well i'm all for elizabeth asserting herself and not being the kind of doormat figure of season three and letting george arrange crappy marriages for her cousins etc i just think that the power she now has over him was won through deceit and basically yelling at him until he cried so i can't be down with it (laughs) oh You're good people, Rita. You really are. Um, yeah, I'm not feeling too much sympathy for George because he keeps trying to kill off members of Ross's family <laughs> in sneaky, <laughs> underhanded, and sometimes not so sneaky and underhanded sorts of ways. You know, it's like, George, dude, enough already. Okay. Let's move on so, to a happier topic. Yes, yes. Ah! Let's talk about Sam Carn. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. they. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can you even believe they remembered Sam existed? Oh, I am shooketh to the chorus. I'm so pleased for Tom York as well because he really deserved the extra screen time and he did not disappoint when it was given to him. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to die, but I couldn't help but get a bit choked up when he stepped up to the gallows. I thought it was just a really clever touch to include Sam in the storyline. It added more of an emotional weight to it when, like in the novels, it was a random. Uh, The only thing I can grumble about really is the inclusion of Drake because I really don't buy for a minute that that self-centered mopey little boy would (laughs) have given enough of a crap to try and prevent a friend from rioting he is just way too (laughs) self-involved Oh my god. Uh, no, I was really impressed with Tom York's performance in that scene. Uh, he looked as if he was calling upon every ounce of strength, physical and emotional, to continue to stay on his feet. And the look on his eyes, you know, as if he'd been resigned to meet his maker, but still really freaking pissed, uh, was really, really impressive. Um, and I agree with you. Introducing him as one of the accused, rather than merely accompanying the family of John Hoskin, uh, who is the name of the character to be hanged in the book, uh, really was a great call to make. Um, and I'll have more to say on this uh, this scene in a second when we talk about uh, our favorite scenes. I just love Sam. I mean, without spoiling, guys, can you please, I mean, I know you can't confirm because we never know with this show, but will we see more of him? I mean, really? I would hope so. Um, th- he's got some pretty major stuff uh, yeah, with that Emma. happens uh, to him in... I know, I say it again. The next in episode the is going to be very heavy, heavy Sam. There's going to be, like. there's going to be, ha- yeah, like half naked Sam. Have you seen some of the, have, have you seen some of the pictures from Far, Far Away? They've got pictures up from uh, episode two. No. Uh, we will, well, it's up on our Twitter. Delonda, look at them after the show. <laughs> oh, okay. <that's laughs> they will make you worry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All I have to say is Tom Harry's beard is really, really red. <laughs> He's a sneaky ginger. He really is. <laughs> He's secretly a con. Um, <laughs> it all makes sense. Let's discuss something I don't want to talk about. Uh, Moena and Drake. We have to. They're part oh. of the show. Oh, no. No, they're not. They're not. So... The inclusion of Morwenna at the gallows instead of being moving just reminded me of the fact that Emma wasn't there. I was like, oh, <sighs> she should have been there. Um, I do not care for the storyline and demand equal Sam Emma screen time. Um, you're right. Having Emma there witnessing Sam, you know, almost hanging would have been awesome, especially um, as it would tie into the kind of the the emotions that will be coming in an event that happens next week. But as far as Drawwena, is that the the pairing name? Drawer I can't even pronounce it. Drawwena. I mean Drawwena. you're asking the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> as far as they're concerned, it's appropriate to have some subtle reminders of their star crossedness. 
But this whole creeping thing that both of them are doing, uh, is just kind of making me a little shuddery, especially the, the whole scene at the cemetery. Cause, <sighs> ew. You don't think it's appropriate to sneak up on somebody at a funeral? No? No! I'm sorry! No! I gotta say, if we get another Dro Wenna or whatever the name is, look at their bracelet scene, I'm gonna scream. Do we need 200 of those? No. No, we don't. But do we know how Morwenna knew that it was going to be the Karn brothers? Because she asked Ozzy. He said uh, he, d- he didn't know, but he talked yeah. about Methodists, so... Yeah, I, my guess is that she she may have extrapolated it, but oh, I, it, yeah. it just... I mean, there's so many Methodists seemed... in Cornwall. What? I know, I know. I mean, you know, it's like, what? Is she starting to have psychic vibes or something like that? Or maybe, you know, because <laughs> the they bracelet are... told her it's not good. <laughs> The bracelet cried out to her at night. Morwenna, I'm going to be killed. Come to me. Come use your special bracelet powers to save my life. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, we've officially lost all of the Drake and Morwenna. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry. Pretty much. We'll we'll be prepared for uh, an ass whooping on social media about our disdain for yeah, Dwarwena. Yeah, we really deserve it. We really yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and now Caroline and Dwight. Yeah, they were so cute and so hashtag married. Like they spent the episode sharing like sly looks at each other and making jokes about children. It was oh, adorable. They also looked really very domestic when they were, like, cuddling by the fire and gossiping about their friends and holding Horace. <laughs> adorable. <laughs> I need more of them, please. Yeah, oh my god. I was thrilled every time they came on screen. And I cannot get enough of Dwight and Horace having a papa yeah. and pup snuggle. I, I really can't. Um, uh, new pairing. Uh, Doris or Howite. <laughs> Howite. Uh, like- how, How white? White. How, How white? white because they're just so cute. And that is straight from the book as well. I it is. I remember Caroline's like low-key jealous that Horace hated Dwight and now he loves Dwight. He loves him so Papa Dwight. Ooh. I'm so excited that they're having a baby and uh, because we know Caroline has always been this uh, self-centered lady or Horace-centered so <laughs> I just can't wait until she has that baby and then Horace gets jealous I mean oh my <laughs> oh, gosh yeah. oh my gosh she's gonna be a good mum though because you can't be I'm a good sure. doggy mum and not a good mum mum right? right that carries over favorite scenes Oh, let's see. Well, one of my favorites was the hanging scene uh, for a bunch of reasons. As I mentioned a moment ago, Tom York's performance was stellar. But can we just throw all of the awards at Tristan Sturrock, please? Please. Um, I've always loved Zaki. And aside from the fact that they've killed off the misses. Oh, my God. Yes! How horrible was that? Yes! Um, hashtag bring back Emma Spurgeon Hussey, please. Um, well, they can't. Is she going to come back as a ghost? I know. I know. They can't now. But oh, my God, that was awful. Um, the primal scream that he makes when his son's body falls and the sheer helplessness as he wept in Ross's arms. 
Uh, I'll admit it. I cried like a baby uh, during that scene. Um, and then when Ross was at the funeral and Zachy tells Ross, um, you know, basically that, you know, you know what I'm going through, um, you know, and you could see that Ross had tears forming in his yeah. eyes. I was like, stop it already. I can't oh. deal with this. A bit of a lighter note, I really enjoyed the scene where Ross invited Francis Bassett over to the house and Elsa was, <laughs> that was so frantically runs back, starts <laughs> freaking out at Prudy and starts like throwing the children's things off the table hysterically. It was just like such a fantastic comic relief. Yes. In a pretty dramatic episode. And so relatable. Such a classic husband with me for us. <laughs> hey, girl, girl, I do this with my husband all the time, and he's the one at home in a panic. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it's like, hey, I've got some friends over. <laughs> like, what? Huh? <laughs> it, you know what it did? It reminded me of that scene all the way back in episode Two, season one, where Elizabeth visits Nampara for the first time, and Demelza, who has like fish guts smeared all over her face, opens the door like, What the fuck do I do? And ends up just like handing Elizabeth some water and a hunk of burnt bread that proves <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I love Demelza. She should never change. <laughs> Oh, we love you. Uh, my favorite scene was uh, when Ross asked Demelza to lie in bed with him for a bit uh, because we haven't seen that much affection between these two lately. So this scene was a bit of a break, um, not only for the two of them, but also for us, the audience, um, a break from all the drama happening around them. Oh, and did, did you notice Demelza has a new nighty? <laughs> yeah. Very pretty. It. So pretty Fancy lady. It's got <laughs> lace on it. Everything. It's mm-hmm. not just. A, it's not just one of Ross's old shirts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. So least favorite scene. I don't know that I would class this as the least favorite scene because I thought it was a really good scene. But uh, the first time I saw that bit where Sam and Drake were about to be hung. And I realized that Ross was going to save everyone's lives by giving his millionth impassioned speech <laughs> about poverty. Um, uh, I was just so disappointed. I was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> the more times this happens, the less powerful those moments become. It just felt incredibly trite at this point. I was really glad that Ross's eloquence couldn't save the day entirely which is a perverse thing to say because I was sad about it. Um, the tragedy still struck despite that speech yeah. with Jogo's death. So that was a good move. If I had to give the show any notes this week, it would be, please stop leaning on this plot device. Well, you know, they had to remind us um, that Ross makes impassioned speeches because, you know, we <laughs> must have forgotten about it. You know, the trials in series one and two were so long ago. Oh, so long ago. It was like ages and ages ago. Although we did get an impassioned speech at the riot at the end of episode Can you believe we've two. had another impassioned speech and a riot? Oh my god. I know. <laughs> hey, the series is four for four with riots. 
I'm sorry, Ross, but um, Ellie's favorite scene also involves you. <laughs> uh, I had a bit of a trouble with uh, Ross, not telling Demelza that she might lose her brothers, um, because I understand that he wanted to spare her the suffering, but uh, can you guys imagine if they actually died and she oh would have never saw them again? She wouldn't have. She wouldn't have had the chance to say goodbye, just like Julia. Remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that had happened, she would never have been able to forgive him. Like, yeah, and he acknowledges that. He acknowledges that that you know it would destroy her. She would never forgive me. But it's the lesser of two evils. And I'm like, I, I really don't know about that, Ross. They're her brothers. How many tricorns would you give this week's episode out of five? <laughs> I, I love the idea of our our uh, rating system being tricorns. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but one of the little ones that you get in Poldark 1970s version, like the one that doesn't quite fit. It wasn't quite fit, yes. It fits just on the crown of the head. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, I'm going to be bold. Five out of five. Wow. Um, (laughs) Four tricorns from me. We can't go around giving out fives willy-nilly because it wasn't perfection. but I did really enjoy the episode. It was a really strong start to the season that hopefully they can build on. Right. I changed my mind because, you know, I can. I got a little excited there. It's been so long since I could actually squee about uh, a show uh, like this. Uh, so I I agree. Four out of five. Got to save a little something something for the time they blow my freaking mind with perfection. Yeah, team four out of five. Oh, across the board, we all agree. Hashtag high five. Okay, now we've got a new feature to introduce that I'm going to call Critics Corner because I'm not that original. (laughs) Uh, We want to know how the nation's TV critics have responded to the episode. Now, first off, we've got a quote from The Guardian's review by Sam Wollaston. Quote, so now there is the tricky love triangle situation, plus Demel's suspicions that Russ has been getting rejiggy with Elizabeth. It pretty much is Love Island, no? Pex versus poetry. <laughs> Fab Abs versus the gift of the gab. This has a few more clothes. Well, bigger clothes. Somewhere down there, southwestish accents. Stirring strings and a sea that doesn't go all the way around. Love Peninsula, perhaps. <laughs> so for those of you outside of the UK, Love Island is an immensely popular reality TV show. And it's Poldark's main competition in terms of ratings this year. I'm not sure how much of the audience crosses over. I seem to be the weird anomaly that watches both. But it <laughs> could be a bit of a threat for our fave show. So it's a situation that we better keep our eyes on. Uh, yeah, didn't you say the numbers for this episode were lower than any other premiere episode? Yes. So let's take a little journey back to season one, which premiered with 9.5 million. Damn. And then season two and season three premiered with 7.29. But this week's was only at 4.7 million, which is kind of a steep drop. Uh, kind of? Yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on the streaming numbers to see if that picks up. But hasn't the show been renewed uh, for series uh, five already? Yeah. Yes, it has. So no matter what, we're getting an ending. And, uh... Uh, side, a side note, uh, they are starting filming September 8th, 
Oh. <gasps> Which is right before we go back to Cornwall. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. They better go to Cornwall first and not, like, take a detour into, like... Oh, my God. If they in. do, I swear I'm 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 going to be upset. But we'll anyway. start our own riot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elsewhere, the Independence Review was savage as F. Quote, They were even blatant enough to kick up with the absolute crashing bore of a cliché of having Poldark emerge from the Atlantic waves shirtless, an entirely British... British's scene, the sole purpose of which was to ensure the money shot was delivered at the start as the audience has come to expect, end quote. Send your hate email to Shane. <laughs> Sean O'Grady, oh my god. That's mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean, you d- you don't seem to understand. There's, <laughs> you, you've, you've just opened yourself up for a whole mess of hate. So, nice knowing you, dude. Uh, let's finish off with something nicer. Uh, the following is from The Telegraph. Quote, The sight of Ross Poldark striding bare-chested from the waves in the opening scene was as much a knowing wink to viewers as an invitation to leer. Any drama with the confidence to indulge in such headline-grabbing self-parody is well worth welcoming back. End quote. She continues, quote, Meanwhile, the fallout from Demelza's Roll in the Sand last series with her pale and wan paramour, Hugh Armitage, had to be dealt with. More than rioting, hanging, or politicking, this was the real meat of the episode, with both Ross, all too aware of his wife's attachment, and Demelza forced to weigh the balance of past betrayals in a desperate attempt to salvage their fractured relationship. To be fair, Hugh Armitage, who spends most of his time composing constipated adolescent verse, no wonder he suffers those <laughs> crippling headaches, has never looked like a serious threat to win Demelza away from her hirsute swashbuckler Ross. But scriptwriter Debbie Horsfield never fails to wrestle big true emotions from the Poldark's romantic troubles, even at their most potentially absurd. And though they were finishing each other's sentences again... Uh, how can it be that two people who love so much, began she, understand so little, finished he. Sigh. By the episode's end, they clearly have a long road to travel yet. I, for one, look forward to continuing the journey with them. And that was uh, by Gerard O'Donovan, who gave the episode <gasps> four out of five stars. What do I you like know? You. I we know. are agreeing with professionals and everything. There we go. I, that is a that's a great review, and I and I I love the whole idea of the show starting off with this self parody of you know bare chested Aiden Turner that got so much crap in uh, series one. It's like all right, fine, here we go, Let's round just do two. It. Let's get it over page. with. <laughs> I like that it was a dream sequence because in my head, Ross isn't really like that tan. <laughs> this is how he thinks he is, but not really. <laughs> and I think, I think Aiden, uh, I, I seem to remember because uh, Aiden was answering questions uh, just prior to the start of the show on Twitter. 
and I thought that one of the things that got tweeted was, you know, what what do you uh, like and dislike about Ross? And I think he said he said, love the hair, hate the fake tan. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you cheeky! How is Ross dude. so tanned in I Cornwall? Know. <laughs> okay, time for messages. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to thank. Everyone who joined me on Twitter while the episode was airing, I really needed the emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I did a little live tweeting and it was just a blast talking to everyone. I think we're going to take it in turns tweeting the episode, so look out next week for another Twitter storm. We're at Poldark Podcast. Speaking of, here are some of the te- tweets we got. Uh, Maz said, could barely hear Ross and Demel's conversation at the end. Sort out the dial. Sort the dialogue out, please. Uh, this was annoying me too. Either I'm getting old and suffering from hearing loss, or all TV is getting quieter. Just turn the volume up. <laughs> uh, Tracy K tweeted: "Cannot wait for Morwenna and Drake to find their happiness, and for someone, preferably Demelza, to punch George's lights out." Hashtag fuck off, George. Um, Elisa Larson noted that Demelza was more affectionate with Ross and he with her. It's so nice to see these changes. It is. Preach. Um, Denise Schultz said, uh, I love the episode and the scenery, the drama, the tenderness. Ross Poldark wants more the hero. Uh, can't stand Hugh. Never did like him. Who did? Congratulations to all cast and crew. Yeah. And uh, KWS1616 said it did look like Jago was guilty of manslaughter. When he wrestled with a grain merchant, the merchant hit his head on the on the iron mooring, which probably killed him. I don't know if the penalty was any different from murder versus manslaughter back then. So I actually looked into this. Oh my god, I've never been on so many legal websites in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> While I couldn't find out when the distinction between murder and manslaughter became law, I'm thinking it was sometime in the 1800s, I did learn that by the end of the 1700s, i.e. when Poldark is set, there were over 200 offences that were punishable by death. Most of them were a lot more minor than manslaughter, so it's fair to say that Jago would definitely have hung no matter what. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, uh, as we get into the whole uh, going off to Westminster uh, aspect of uh, this season, um, that was actually, if I remember correctly, one of the bills that was uh, being uh, discussed during that time frame was looking at reducing the number of crimes that were punishable by capital punishment. So, um, yeah, around around this time is when they started uh, doing indent. What's it called? In why can't I pronounce oh, in that word? De- oh, indentured servitude. Yeah, yeah, and uh, also um, shipping people off to Australia. So mm-hmm. they couldn't ship them off to America anymore. Hi, Australia. Yeah, we kind of shut <laughs> that shit down. <laughs> Although you know, my people, by the way, uh, yeah, we were still being yeah, yeah. But that is also being discussed at this time, was uh, stopping the slave trade. So it's a really super exciting time um, in history that uh, we get to play around in with uh, this coming season. So stay tuned. Oh my God, we're geeky. 
We're geeky history people. I know, but it's like the best part of the show. I know, right? <laughs> um, so over on Instagram, we got some messages. Podduck, please said, absolutely brilliant. My heart was racing and the storylines were fantastic. Very gripping. And Little Book Bell said, also absolutely amazing. I loved it. So emotional. And I can't wait for next week. Meanwhile, over on Tumblr, Londonista59 said, Wow, I thought that episode had it all. Tension, drama, heartache, ick, fast, ick factor, Ozzy and George, yes, uh, tenderness, actual conversations between Ross and Demelza, beautiful scenery, both Cornish coast and Ross emerging from the sea. <laughs> <laughs> the acting was great. Loved Ross's speech at the hanging. I felt like the conversation between Ross and Demelza was right. They're still finding their way, but want to work things out. I didn't like the conversation between Prudy and Demelza. It seemed like too much spillage of the beans. I agree with you. Evil Eve uh, said, this first episode has given me hope that season four will be better than the dumpster fire that was season three. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. <laughs> and uh, she also says, I especially got this feeling when the characters were actually being in character again, for the most part. Uh, looking forward to your thoughts on the episode, and let's hope it's a sign of good things to come throughout the rest of the season. Oh, we can only hope. Yes, indeed. Speaking of the rest of the season, shall we have a little listen to the trailer for 402? Yes! yes. This is a sorry sight. My nephew should be preparing for the election. Demelza, what you said with Mirwa? Armitage is sick. Falmouth was obliged to choose another candidate. Poldark of Nampara! How dare he? It matters not. We're well out. Are you afraid? More than afraid. That sounds amazeballs. Wow. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, here's an episode description. Um, and this is, is this from Radio Times? Or where is it from? Yeah, Do you know? Always Radio Times. Always Radio Times. Uh, Ross and Demelza make a determined effort to save their failing marriage, but as Hugh's health continues to deteriorate, it places more pressure on the couple and drives them even, even further apart. Oh, for <gasps> God's sake, no! Hugh's condition also jeopardizes his chances of running for election and bringing George's devastating reign as member for Truro to an end, which leads Falmouth trying to persuade Ross to step in. At the Saul feast, Tom challenges Sam to a wrestling match, and Emma offers herself up as the prize. Ooh! <laughs> okay, so which storylines are you guys most looking forward to next week? Well, I know which one you're looking forward to, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm ready for the floppy-haired Hugh to take up space next to Aunt Agatha. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh go Brito. ahead and go ahead and yell at me, interwebs. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, that said, I have a feeling it's going to be a long, drawn out, over dramatic mortal coil shuffleage for uh, Mr. Armitage. Um, and we should all be prepared for Hugh's manipulative comment from episode one to come back and bite Demelza hard. If I had, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had to predict anything, um, that comment is going to be the reason why 
his health is driving Ross and Demelza further apart because she is feeling guilty AF about <sighs> not loving him again because apparently, you know, love heals whatevs. Looking forward to you um, dying. I'm sorry, that sounds so cruel, but I'm so dead. <laughs> so long, farewell. I can't take his migraines anymore. Oh my God. Not just his head. Those were actually time. pretty funny. It's like, okay, I'm writing, I'm writing. Oh, oh God. Oh, oh, oh. As someone who suffers head. from migraines, I've got to say, not what it looks like. <laughs> they don't come along that suddenly. What the fuck? Anyway. Oh, oh wait, boy. wait, before we go, can I just ask, if there's any doctors listening, can you write in and explain to me what the hell he's actually suffering with? Because my natural instinct is to go, tumor? Because he can't see and he has headaches. But they're making it seem like it's something that was caused by his time in prison. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to bet it's a tumor as well. You can't get tumor from going to prison. <laughs> I'm in prison, therefore my brain is going to explode. Like, no... <laughs> That's not how it works. Not how it works. But please. So yeah, contact us, doctors. Yes. We need to know. <laughs> yes. Okay. And we are, unfortunately, at the end of this week's podcast. But you're not, because we will be back next week recapping and discussing episode two. So if you want to get involved, then follow us at Polar Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Message us on Tumblr or email us at polarpodcast at gmail.com. And you can be read out on the podcast. Okay, thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.